We are glad to be here this morning, aren't we? Amen. I've mentioned this before, and if you walk in our buildings, you see a sign that says, important if true. I can't get away from it. I keep on thinking about it. About a year or so ago, I was reading some articles, and, and this guy talked about Alexander Kinglake. Alexander Kinglake, a British author that lived in the 1800s. The 1800s in England is where Alexander is from. People were believing. People were believing in Jesus. The churches on Sundays were full. There was a lot of spiritual activity. Matter of fact, in the 1800s, England was known as having some of the largest churches, some of the most evangelistic churches, and, and some of the best-known preachers of the day. And it was quite an interesting time. And he's taking a look at all that. He's observing all this spiritual activity, and he, he coined the phrase, it's important if it's true. And Alexander Kinglake said in his writings, more than once, he, it was like he was obsessed with it. It was like he just couldn't get away from it. And he would say in his writings that in stone, in every church wall, in every church entry, there should be engraved in stone, important if true. Of course, he didn't believe it was true, and he didn't experience the, the beauty of the gospel. He didn't experience the wonder of the reality that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, and that all the world is loved by God. He missed it. He didn't see it, never did see it. But I like that idea that we would have that mindset that what we read in the Bible, what we understand, if it's true, it's very important. It's extremely important. It's the most important thing there is in the world. That what the Bible has to say about all matters is extremely, extremely important. And when you have the understanding that the Bible is true, that Jesus is our Savior, He is our Lord, the Messiah is who the Bible claims Him to be, then we experience what we need to experience from it. And it's very, very motivating. It's motivating. It, it changes our mindsets. It changes our lives. It gives us hope, it gives us purpose, it gives us victory. It helps us to go through life, whatever we're dealt with in life, and it helps us to go with the idea that in Jesus Christ, we are overcomers like he is an overcomer, and we can persevere. We can make it through. We, we can, there is a power that comes to us through the Lord, via the Holy Spirit, that will give us all that we need to, to endure whatever transpires in our life. Because I have seen, and I'm sure you have seen, that not many people pass through life and not have problems, not have challenges. Everyone probably has something in their life that at some point or another is devastating. And yet Jesus has the power to overcome all that. One of the passages that, that really motivates me and helps me hang in, helps me not quit, helps me persevere regardless of what's going on, is the great story between Jesus and Nicodemus in John chapter 3. 
So let's just kind of go through this, and, and I want to share with you why I think this ought to motivate everyone. First of all, we have the introduction of Nicodemus. It says in verse 1, John chapter 3, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. A Pharisee is a high official in the Jewish faith. He had arrived. Religiously, he was somebody. He was part of the Sanhedrin. He was a ruler of the Jews, it says there in verse 1. And so his goals had been met. His aspirations were settled. Not everybody gets to be a member of the Sanhedrin, but Nicodemus had risen in society, in religion, to that place of being a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin. Verse 2, it says, This man, Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night and said to him, now, the reason why he went at night was he would, didn't want anybody to see him going to Jesus. He wanted to, keep, he wanted to keep things on the low, right? He didn't want anybody to know that he was curious about Jesus and what Jesus was teaching. And he goes to him at night and he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. He didn't ask a question here, but he has a question on his mind. And when you go through the scriptures and you look how Jesus responds to people, you, you will understand that how Jesus responds to people is where people are. It's what they want to know. It's what they need to know. And, and Nicodemus reads his heart, just like Nathaniel. He read his heart. He knew his place. And, and Jesus reads Nicodemus's heart, and Jesus knows the question that Nicodemus really wants to ask, but doesn't have probably the assurance to be able to ask that question yet. Nicodemus wants to know, how do you know you're right with God? Nicodemus needs to know, how do you know that everything is good between us and the Lord? Nicodemus is struggling with, with an answer. He wants to know. He wants to know how you know for sure you're going to heaven. He, he wants the understanding here. We know that because that's how Jesus answered him. In verse 3, important if true. Truly, truly. Now, that means this is really important. You need to listen to what I got to say. When you see that truly, truly, the King James is barely, barely, that, that double mention, truly, truly, listen to me. Take advantage, be alert, listen, connect with me now. Don't miss this. It's something we might say. I'm about to tell you something that's so important. You better not miss this. This, this is crucial for your well-being. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What Jesus tells Nicodemus, a religious man, a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, Nicodemus, you can have all these achievements. You can have all this going for you. You can be somebody really important in religion. And if you're not born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. It's true for us today. That's true. Important if true. We understand that we can be as moral as we desire to be. We can be as religious as we seek to be. We can have 
a good set of values. We can be respected in our communities, in our workplaces. We can, we can be someone that people look at and say, now there walks a good person. We can be that kind of person. But Jesus says, we won't see the kingdom of God unless we're born again. So this idea of being born again, obviously, is really, really important. Matter of fact, I will say to you, people being born again is the most important thing. Because after all, when you strip everything down and people come to the end of their days, nothing matters like being born again. I mean, when we pass away, nothing is more important than we have faith in Christ, that our sins have been forgiven, that we are in Christ, that we understand that we're one of his children and we're born again. Nothing more important than that. I mean, we may sit around and think about all the good things that, you know, Uncle Ed did through his life and the fun times we had with Uncle Ed, but, but you probably have experienced that. The most important thing that we can say about Uncle Ed was there is absolutely overwhelming evidence that Uncle Ed believed in Christ, was born again, and we have evidence that he lived out that born-again life. Nothing better than that. It's better than money. It's better than stock options. It's better than achievements anybody could make. And so important and true. It needs to be at the heart of our entire existence. It needs to be what we live for. It, you know, we, we live for for raising our kids and working and, and being responsible and all those kind of things. But on the top of the list needs to be that everybody we know hears how you can be born again. And everybody within our own being, all that we can do, which we will see that, that we have a role to play, but it's a work of the Lord for someone to be born again, that we live a life that everybody that's around us knows how to be born again. We give them the opportunity to be born again because it's the most important thing. No one, Jesus says, no one will ever see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And being born again is not through religion. Religion is man's way to be right with God. Religion is the very best man can do to be right with God. Religion is human effort. Religion is based on human achievement. Religion is based on works, and no one is born again through works. So, very, very important, isn't it? Born again. And then Jesus goes on with Nicodemus because obviously Nicodemus needs to hear this, and, and, and Nicodemus begins to ask questions. He finds himself a footing, but we see here in verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Good question, isn't it? I mean, how can I be born again? I'm 63 years old. I mean, I don't remember being born. I, I've seen the building where I was born. I, I've heard stories about the day I was born. I get all that, you know. I, I, I've heard my mother say more than once how surprised she was when they told her it was a boy and not a girl and how she's been just disappointed her whole life that I'm a boy, and, and I am a boy. I am a boy. There's, I've never thought differently. I'm a boy. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb 
and be born. Can, so Nicodemus is what? Thinking about this from physical. He doesn't get the spiritual. Now that makes sense. I get that. Everything in his life has been human effort. How in the world? It doesn't make any sense. He, this is nonsense, being born again. I mean, how can an old man go back in his mother's womb? It just can't happen. He doesn't see the spiritual. But Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, there you go again. This is really important information. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, that water there is physical birth, not baptism. We baptize today. We believe in baptism. It's a symbol of one's faith in Christ. But it's, this is not born of water. I know a lot of people believe this means baptism. It doesn't need, mean, mean baptism. It doesn't fit in the context, and it's not what the rest of the Jesus has to say about being born again has anything to do with. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, physically, and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So you're born physically? Yes, we agree with that. But you've got to be born spiritually. Look in verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel. How can you not marvel? Do not marvel, Jesus says, that I said to you, you must be born again. What matters most at the church house? You must be born again. What matters in Bible study? You must be born again. At the end of life, what matters most? Being born again. That's what Jesus is saying to, the, to Nicodemus here. Look in verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes. A little nice little breeze this morning. Think about this for a moment. None of us has ever seen where the wind starts. Where does it start? Now, we look up in the sky, and we see West Texas in the sky, and we think, well, the wind started in West Texas. But none of us has ever been to the exact spot where wind starts, have you? And, and it takes a moment sometimes to even know the direction the wind is coming from. And so it's a, the wind thing's a miracle. Now, it can be explained, lows and highs and all those kind of things and weather and, and that kind of thing going on. But we don't understand the wind. People may say they understand the wind, but no one understands the wind. And, and, and Jesus says here, the wind blows where it wishes. We have, we have zero control over the wind. You may have a birthday party planned outside today, and the wind might blow 30 miles an hour and ruin your birthday party. The bounce house will blow across the field and all those kind of things. And you may get up in the morning and say, well, the wind said five miles an hour. But we can't control the wind. That's what Jesus is saying here. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. You do not know where it came from. You know, trying to understand the wind is a waste of brain energy. Because Jesus says you, can't you just can't understand the wind. The wind's going to do what the wind does. And then he says, he, he compares the wind to the work of the Holy Spirit for being born again. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Some people look for truth. 
They look for it. They look for it. They look for it. You may have read the case of Christ by Lee Strobel. His wife became a believer in Christ. She was born again, and he was a newspaper investigator, a writer of the newspaper, and, and he just didn't understand this new life that his wife had found. And so he went on an investigation. He went and he found, just like he was a newspaper reporter, he, he found people like Metzger that talks, teaches Greek, that knows Greek, that understands all that. He went to archaeologists. He went to Bible scholars. He went to pastors that, that he had heard about. And, and he researched this born-again thing, this, this case for Christ thing, like he would any other investigative story. And at the end of his discovery, he couldn't find one cotton-picking thing that would keep him from believing in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit went to work. Now, he didn't know this then, but he knows it now. The wind was blowing in Lee Strobel's life. The wind was blowing. The wind that Jesus is true. The wind that the Bible is true. The wind that you need to go on this investigation and put yourself to work to understand this born-again thing that your wife has experienced. And he did. And the Holy Spirit went to work. And Lee Strobel now speaks around the world, writes books. He is now a born-again believer. He didn't know where the wind was coming from. He didn't know where it was going. He didn't have an understanding. But he came to Christ because he searched. Other people didn't do that. People just rock along in life, and they just experience Christ. I've heard stories of people walking down the city street, and they find piece of Scripture on the floor, stuck to their shoe. There's stories about a guy in the Northeast that could not speak and, 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 and could not hear, but he just stood on a street corner, and he would point up, he would point to his Bible and point to his heart. And, and most people that drove by and said, a loony tune, right? Why would you stand out there and point up to the sky, point to the Bible, and then point to the heart? But for some, that was the wind blowing. And they came to Christ. They were born again because who most people thought was a loony tune out there, pointing to the sky and pointing to the Bible and pointing to his heart, they were born again. I was born again because friends that I had ran with, I saw change in their life. And I said, there's something here. I know these guys. These guys are criminals. But they're different. There's something going on here. And, and I started listening to them because there was something there that I could not explain away. And after a period of time, my skepticism my bullheadedness, my stubbornness, the wind blew him down. When I received Jesus and I was born again, I didn't understand much. All I knew, that I had sin, that I had anger issues, and that I wanted love. That's all I knew. That's what I, I knew that when Jesus died on the cross, he died so that I could go to heaven, and they said he would love me. That's all I knew. They said that the Bible said, because I hadn't read it yet for sure, for me to be able to understand all that. I'd read a little bit with them, but I, I mean, very, very little. I didn't have any Bible information. I didn't have any Sunday school lessons to draw from. And I just, the wind blew, and I just believed in Jesus. 
And, and when I believed in Jesus, I, limited information, didn't understand anything, it, it changed for me. It took a while. There was a lot of work to be done. There was a lot of processing. There was a lot of Holy Spirit work to be done. I made the Holy Spirit work overtime in me to get me to understand lots of things and change of heart and mind. And a few rocky years went in there, but there became a newness in me through the Holy Spirit. I was born again. I didn't know about the wind. I, I never, I didn't read about this then. It was later on I read about this and went, holy cow, the wind blew. I didn't know where it was coming from. I didn't want to be saved. I didn't look for it. But, but people that loved me, friends that loved me said, we, you know, Lee's going to go to hell. We got to help him. I'm so glad they did. They helped, the, the, the wind blew. It's a miracle. Being born again is a miracle. Now, let me tell you something. Some of y'all struggle with, I grew up in a church home, right? And you think there's nothing miraculous about your Christian life. That is not true. Now, we all know people that grew up in a Christian home and don't believe. We all know those folks, right? And their mom and dad, they pray for their kids, and they, they just don't understand. They went to church. They went to the Bible school. They went to camps. We had them at church all the time. They saw all the things. They heard all the things. And they choose not to believe. Just because you grow up in a Christian home doesn't mean you're going to believe because it's a miracle. Other people, they, didn't, they, they never heard about Christ. They never went to Sunday school. They never went to church camp. They, they never went to the Adventure Week. There was none of that going on. They didn't go to Wednesday night activities. They didn't even hear the gospel until perhaps college or maybe even after that. There was, there was no spiritual sign of any life in their lives. But yet, the wind blows and they believe. Now, I believe the wind blows and people choose to believe or not. I believe the wind blows and people will see or they won't. They will hear or they won't. But being born again is a miracle. If you are raised in a Christian home, do not take it lightly that you believe and you're born again. Because it's absolutely is as much of a miracle as someone that did not grow up in a Christian home. It's a miracle. Being born again is always a miracle. And that motivates me when I think about it, when I think about being born again, and I think about that being born again is a miracle, like the wind is a miracle, and the way it works, it motivates me. I can't wait to see someone be born again. I can't wait to hear someone's stories about how they were born again. It's a motivator for me, and I think it would be a motivator for everyone. Verse 9, you see the belief in this miracle. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, now can you see Nicodemus is, is kind of resting a little bit? He's easing into it because of what happened on the cross and how Nicodemus and, and, and was involved in helping Jesus get settled in to the grave. I mean... This was the begin. The wind began to blow. 
Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? That's a good question, Nicodemus. Don't you want to know how in the world can these things be? Jesus answers him. So these are how things are. He first of all says, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Mind-blowing, but true. Truly, truly, once again, you better listen to me. I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have, be, have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. He says the reason why you do not believe is you're not willing to hear. You're not willing to listen to me. That's what Jesus tells him. If I had told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? You're not believing me about the wind. You're not believing me about being born again. You're not believing me about seeing the kingdom of God. So, you know, it makes sense to me. There's a belief problem here. In religion, there's always a belief problem. They want to understand everything. They want to control everything. They will even take parts of the Bible and they will say, this is what this part of the Bible means so that they can easily accept what it has to say. But Jesus says, if I had told you earthly things, you don't believe how in the world are you going to believe if I tell you heavenly things? Look in verse 13. No one is sent into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. It's a miracle beyond your mind. It's a miracle beyond your comprehension, Nicodemus. In your state of mind, state of heart, in your religious state, you're going to have a hard time believing this. And he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, Jesus is talking about when he's lifted up on the cross, but he's using Moses in the example of Moses on the cross, out in the wilderness with the serpent on the stick, as a reminder that it's happened before. What's going to happen with Jesus has happened before. Now, they're out in the wilderness, and the people are being bit by snakes. The Lord says, take a serpent, put it up on the stick, and you hold that stick up. It, it's a forerunner. It says that the Messiah is going to be placed up high on a stick, and you're going to have to believe in him not to die in our sins. For those out in Moses' day, out there in that wilderness, they, they've got to keep their eyes on the snake, on the pole, and if they do that, then those serpents that are killing people won't kill them, won't bite them. Now, think about that. It, I, I really wanted to dump about 200 rattlesnakes in here today. <laughs> That'd be fun, wouldn't it? No, be beautiful. Uh, and just to see how many can keep their eyes off the rattlesnakes. If I were to say, now, we're, we got boxes of rattlesnakes up here on top of this light bar up here, and we're about to dump them out amongst you. Now, don't worry about those snakes. Y'all just focus on the cross. Y'all just don't look at the snakes, look at the cross. Don't look at the snakes, look at the cross. That's what they had to do out there in that wilderness. Now, for Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you're going to have to forget about everything you believe in, everything you understand, everything that you think is true, 
and you're going to have to just look at the cross. But there's snakes down there. Can you keep your eyes off the snakes? Can you keep your eyes off the things of the world? Can you think about the serpent's teachings? Can you, can you keep your eyes on the cross and not think about the very best man has said about the meaning of life, and the importance of life, and the reality of God, the reality that, that of Christ, that Jesus is not who he said he was, that he was a scoundrel, he was just a revolutionary. I mean, he's not, he, just, he was just a man. You, got, it, you just look at the snakes. The world says you better watch the snakes. If you don't watch the snakes, they're going to bite you and you're going to die. But Jesus says, get your focus off the snakes. Nicodemus, don't look at the world. Don't look at what the snakes are, 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 are presenting to you. Don't, don't, don't look at your fears. Don't look at what you don't understand. Don't look at what is, is difficult for you to grasp. Just look at the cross and you'll be saved. Just look at the cross. Hard for a religious man, hard for a smart man, hard for a wealthy man, hard for a moral man to just look at the cross. Isn't there something we've got to do to earn our right? No, look at the cross. The idea that you've got to do something to earn salvation is looking at the snakes. Don't look at the snakes, but there's 200 of them on the ground amongst us. Don't look at the snakes. Look at the cross. But you know, I just don't buy this science thing. I just don't buy this creationism thing. I just don't buy this idea that, um, that God became a man. You know, I, I, I read this philosopher. I read this philosopher, Camus. You know, I read Camus. What do you do? You can't even spell the man's name. You read Camus. And Camus talks about existentialism and this and that and the other. I read Camus. Well, you need to quit reading Camus and look at the cross because them snakes are going to bite you. And you can read Camus. You can read all these philosophers in life and you can have all this understanding and them snakes are going to bite you and you're going to die. You need to look at the cross. That's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. He said, As Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. All right, drop the snakes. Go, no, insurance to cover it. Drop the snakes. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. Don't allow the serpents keep you from being born again. Look at the cross. Think about the love. Think about the sacrifice. Look at the cross. He died to pay the price of our sins. Look at the cross. Don't look at the snakes. Look at the cross. If you look at the cross, even if they bite you, you will live. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. And then Jesus summarized to Nicodemus, what he's saying. Look in verse 16. Oh man. The love. In context, the Jews, Nicodemus, did not believe that God loved the world. He believed that God loved Jews. 
but not the world. That's what, he, that's what he was taught. That's what he knew. That's what he understood. From day one, when they were the Shema, when his parents taught him to love God with all his heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love his neighbor himself, he was taught from day one. When he went to the schools, when he followed his rabbi, when he listened, they were told over and over and over, God only loves the Jews. And here, he sees Jesus doing these miracles and saying some mind-blowing things, like, look at the serpent on the stick, and the Son of Man must be lifted up. I'm sure he didn't quite understand that. But now he's hearing, for God so loved the world. The love. Boy, that love motivates. That love. What kind of love is this? That God's for the world. God loves Gentiles. God loves heathens. God loves Sumerians. What? No, 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 no. Not Sumerians. Not Sumerians. I mean, it's like in Blazing Saddles when he said, you know, we can't have any, uh, I guess I can't say those things anymore in a public way. But at the end, it just popped in my mind. It wasn't written down. It just popped in my mind. In the, when, when he's talking about the kind of people, they don't want Chinese and they don't want these people and these people. And he said, not the Irish. What about the Irish? Not the Irish. Okay, the Irish. You know, I don't know. sorry I went there. Prejudice, only God loves the world. Only God loves Jews. No, 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 no. Only God loves the world. That's what it says, for God so loved the world. This isn't phileo love it's talking about there. Phileo love is friendship love. It's, it might be one of the best loves we can produce through human activity, human effort. It's not eris love. Eris is sexual love. It's the infatuation it's the drive of our nature, of our flesh. They say it's for, uh, you know, production, of course. You're attracted to someone of the different species so that you can make babies. And you're attracted to their smile, their symmetry that you choose. You're, you're attracted to their personality, whatever it might be. Maybe you're attracted to just the only girl that will look at you. Maybe that's what the deal is. But it's a sexual, it's a physical attraction. Everyone can practice that love, eros love. This isn't storge love. Storge love is family love. Isn't it interesting that storge love manifests itself is we, we don't like them, but we love them. Isn't it interesting? When it comes to family, right? I mean, you know, you can't, you can't choose your DNA. You can't choose your family, and you might be stuck with people that you just, oh, we would never, ever spend Thanksgiving together if we weren't family. But because we're family, we love them. But it's limited, isn't it? It's limited. You know? It's not this love. This love that Jesus loved the world with is Agape love. It's unconditional love. It's love without any strings attached. That motivates the hound out of me. 
when I think about unconditional love. That's what we have in Jesus, unconditional love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, but God loves us like this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Unconditional love. He loves us. He loves everyone. He loves the world. That's not religion. That's relationship with Christ. That's understanding who Jesus is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I love the love. Man, think about the love. Think about what this scripture says. Think about what Jesus did for us. God sacrificed his own son for us because of love. And then the second part here in the scripture that really is a motivator for me, shall not perish. The not perishing part really, really means a lot. You know, you, you go to the home when a loved one just died. The not perishing part means everything. You go to the cemetery and you're standing out there and they lower the casket in the ground. The not perishing part means everything. Not perishing. We're here today. We're dropping their body into the ground because of their belief in Christ, because of the love of God, because they were born again. They're not perishing. How horrible to think about perishing, perishing, rotting, decaying, perishing for all of eternity, perishing, perishing, perishing. Jesus said, because God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not, will not, shall not perish. The perishing part. Think about it. It ought to generate appreciation for God in your life. It means there's hope in all of life's woes and sorrows and, and tribulations. It means that we have the ability through the power of Christ in us because of not perishing part that no matter what happens, there is good news. We, because we have been born again, will not perish. It'll give us the ability to persevere. It'll just give us hope in a person and it's going to ramp up passion. Not perish. Not perish. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so not only is it not perishing, but it's having eternal life, for God's sakes. Having eternal life. If, if we believe in Jesus, we have eternal life. We will not perish. If you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. You will perish not. Believe you're about to die. Yeah, but I'm not going to perish. I don't, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. That's what the Scripture says. Important if true. Absolutely. If, if the Scripture is true, isn't this important? Absolutely it's important. It ought to change our whole way of living, shouldn't it? Absolutely. The most important thing in our world ought to be, does someone believe in Jesus or not? Has someone been born again? Has someone experienced that they shall not perish? For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Well, a lot of Christians got that wrong. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He is going to be the judge. The Bible tells us that. No question about it. But he didn't come to condemn. 
He came to save. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I mean, it ought to never enter our mind, judgment, condemnation. It ought to never be part of our relationships because if it wasn't for Jesus, then it's most certainly in for us. And we're horrible judges. We don't judge well. No one judges well. I mean, all you got to do is go to court and go, that poor guy up there, I would be judged for anything in the world. He, he's going to make decisions that are not infallible. He doesn't know everything. He doesn't know hearts and minds. He doesn't know the future. And he's got to make a decision that either is going to condemn somebody or not. He doesn't really know. It's just, you know, this part of the law, this evidence, all that kind of stuff. That's a horrible position to be in. We're not good at it. No one has been perfect in all their judgments. Jesus will be perfect in all his judgments, but only he's going to be perfect in all his judgments. So we don't judge. You see the guy covered in, in, in tattoos, pumping gas. Don't judge. You don't have the clue who he can be in Christ. You don't have a clue what God may do in that guy's life or may be doing in that guy's life, right? Because if Jesus wasn't sent in the world to condemn it, we're not sent in the world to condemn it. Jesus was sent in the world to save it. That's what we're sent into the world to do. To be part of his mission of saving people from themselves, from their sin, from their stupidity. <laughs> we give people hope, a new way of thinking. We help them be reconciled. But look at verse 18. Important if true. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Hallelujah. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. That should motivate us. That should motivate us with great sorrow, pain, with, with passion, with tremendous energy. The truth is, if we believe in Him, we are not condemned. The truth is, if we do not believe, we are condemned already. These are the words of Jesus, important if true, because He has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Man. That creates urgency, I think. That creates, maybe our biggest problem is not a 401k. Maybe our biggest problem is not, you know, a business matter. Maybe our business problem is not politics. Maybe our biggest problem is not this, that, or the other. Maybe our biggest problem is not Jerry Jones. You know? Maybe that's not our biggest problem. Maybe our biggest problem is people that we love are not born again. Because if they're not born again, they're condemned as they are. And they need the wind to blow. They need you to share, to love, to urge, to plead, 
to proclaim, to listen, to teach, to, to help people know Christ. If you see no evidence of salvation, become a pest. Become a tactical pest. Become a strategic pest. But by all means, become a pest. Because at the end of time, at the end of their time, whatever it may look like, what's going to matter the most is that Jesus Christ was shared with them at every opportunity. And hopefully the wind blew. And they were, they were born again. Have you been saved? Or are you condemned? That's what the Scripture says. Now, that's harsh. Oh, I just can't buy that. I just can't understand that. I, I came to church today to please so-and-so, and, -so and man, I can't believe that old mean man is saying all this. Let me tell you why I'm saying all this. Because I believe it's true. Right? If you believe something is true, you share it. If you believe the dog dewormer can cure cancer, you tell people about it. Even if you look to be nuts. Right? If you believe that taking these vitamins will help you in your life, you, you tell people about your vitamins. You know, if you've lost your room, 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 you tell them about the, the pieces of orange in a bottle that costs way too much because they're advertising over and over and over. It, those bottles must really be. Yeah, you know what I mean? You're going you're gonna to tell people if you believe it's true. I believe it's true. And I believe that if you die without believing in Christ, you're going to perish. I, I, I can't. Your family, the reason why you was probably invited today is because they love you. They love you. Be saved today. Believe in Jesus. Say, all I understand is He's the Lord and He has come into my life. I want Him to come into life. I want Him to forgive me of my sins. I, I just, all I know is that He loves me and I want the love. He, he will rescue you from your sin. He'll rescue you from your unbelief and He'll give you belief. That's what I believe. You know? And if you're already born again and you've listened to the message today, be a witness. Be a witness. Don't be a casual Christian. Don't be complacent. Don't be afraid of people's opinions of you. I mean, doesn't not perishing mean more than what people think of you? Surely it does. I mean, it's everything. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you will not perish. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ, you will perish. This scripture says, you're condemned already. Please, may the Holy Spirit blow in your life and, and, and may you just be moved and have a change of heart and be motivated to, to live your life for the gospel, the good news, and, and be an instrument of people being saved. Lord, I pray that you'll move in our hearts today. And Lord, for anyone that needs to be born again today, I pray, Lord, they will open up their hearts and their minds to you. Need to be born again. 
need to be active and share in their faith. Need to be sure that all their loved ones, all their friends believe in Jesus. Have an opportunity to believe in Jesus. Lord, you're motivating us to pray. You're motivating us today to love. You're, you're motivating us to be rejected by people. You're motivating us today to understand that ultimately all that matters is whether or not people are born again or not. I just pray, God, that we will, we will respond to what you are saying today. In Jesus' name, amen.